0: The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The Mike Wildman Story, Part 2. This is the second part of my interview with Mike Wildman, an amputee pilot who's had a fascinating career in aviation. The first part covered Mike's life in the Royal Air Force flying amongst other aircraft, the C-130 Hercules, In this part, we hear about his life-changing decision to have part of his left leg removed and his fight not only to get back into the cockpit of an aircraft but to lead the world's first disabled formation display team. We join Mike as he tells us about his decision to leave the Royal Air Force. Now, how did you find the change into civil life?
1: I loved it. I mean... uh Virgin was, it still is, a halcyon kind of lifestyle. We, were, we, we weren't flying that hard. I remember doing two or three trips a month when, when I first joined uh, the airline, going to the sort of destinations you could only imagine, Tokyo, Cape Town, Delhi, flying with people like yourself. So flying with like-minded friends, you know, 16 cabin crew, five-star hotels, You know, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, to be honest, that was absolutely marvellous. Got my command. Which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I mean, I I didn't get to fly anything else. I flew 340s effectively my entire career. Got in there at the start and uh, sort of it finished at the end. But it was a wonderful aeroplane, and yeah, we had a we had a really nice lifestyle. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been in the company only about six years or so when I had a really bad motorcycle accident. Oh, tell me what happened. Well, to try and keep. In with all my Belgian mates. Once I'd come home, we about six of us went on a motorbike holiday every year uh, with my mates from the Belgian Air Force. And this particular year, I decided to buy a new motorcycle because I didn't have one. Uh, went down to France the next day, down to Bastogne. We stayed overnight, uh, and then launched off the next day. The guys were all on really fast motorbikes that they'd had for years. What did you have? I had a BMW 1200 GS, so well, it was like... Not
0: exactly slow. Not
1: exactly <laughs> slow, but I wasn't used to it. What I should have said is I'll go at the front or, um, or I'll meet you at the hotel. What I didn't was uh, I was at the back, the slowest, was racing to catch up with them, overcooked it into a bend, hit a dry stone wall and went down a ravine in of A to, dry stone wall? You yeah, went so through it? No, the bike flipped over the top. The oh. bike. Well, he flipped me over the top. I went. Uh, the bike came back into the road, and I went down the ravine. Oh, my God. And uh, took pretty much all the, the, the kinetic energy through my left ankle. It was really, really badly smashed up, as you can imagine. Uh, doctors initially down in Luxembourg, because we weren't even sure which well, country how we How did in.
0: they find out about it for a start? Because well, you're like came, at the back. Yeah,
1: they came back to find me, found debris in the road. And then a bit like in an initial uh, officer training IOT exercise, they had to go down and find me and bring me back up because the ambulance wouldn't. Uh, the ambulance had eventually arrived, but wouldn't go down and get me. And so these uh, these Belgian Air Force pilots got some sort of hoarding from the side of the road and um, were able to to pull me back up to the. Road. What so sort was of state out. were you in? I was. Well, initially my leg was was through 180 degrees. Oh I'm my fine, god! You know, so anyway, let's not go there. So I had. I think I had six weeks in hospital in Luxembourg and then back to the UK, um, where they they managed to sort of put it all back together, but it was um, obviously not as good as it could be. And so kind of life continued for a number of years, but with it gradually deteriorating. I think I had 14 operations, which most of them failed over that period. Virgin Atlantic were brilliant. They uh, allowed me time off and they allowed me, I don't know if I ever flew with you, but had these special shoes that I could fly um, both uh, so I could feel the controls properly uh, and special they, they gave me um, like those buggies for going through the uh, airport and the Virgin were, were very good to me. And so I lived with it and the, the further operations are a little bit down the line but so I lived with it for a number of years until eventually um, we got to the stage where I couldn't walk properly, I was in constant pain I was taking opiate-based painkillers which meant I couldn't fly anymore And I got to the stage where I couldn't walk, couldn't fly, couldn't work. Um, Fortunately Virgin was still paying me, which was fantastic. And so I had to make a very big decision and that was uh, to have an elective blow in the amputation. That,
0: that, you just say that so calmly, but that (laughs) must have been an absolute, you knew it was going to be a life-changing decision. Yes, I did. I'd done a lot of uh, research and I did know that
1: a couple of guys flying around the world had had done it and were able to come back flying. Because to be honest, that's why I'd left it so long, because I didn't want to stop flying. Mm. But eventually I got to the stage where I didn't have one option. So, so uh, yeah, I took a load of brave pills and, uh, and off we went to have it cut off. What did your surgeon recommend? Well, by this stage, I'd had some, some operations where um, I'd had medical negligence by another surgeon uh-huh. and he'd left it in a really bad way. So by the time I'd got to the original surgeon who'd done the work, he'd said, Mike, there's pretty much nothing we can do. You've got about 30% chance of it being successful, but I can't even say that, you know, and if it did, they'd have to put one of those cages on it where you moved it by a millimeter a day, and I was gonna be bedridden for two years with less than 50% chance of it being successful. Very difficult decision. And Absolutely. so I, I took the decision to have it done.
0: How did you go about making that decision?
1: Um, really, I did a lot of research online about what functionality would be like as an amputee. Uh, this is another f- funny story. I was going back to Virgin, I was in a B and B and there was a little old lady in the corner. And you got that decision, am I going to make conversation or am I not? And I was going back to Virgin after one of my many operations. She said, Oh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going back to Virgin, blah blah blah. And I said, But you know, my leg is in a mess and I'm not sure what to do about uh, uh, an amputation. And she said, oh, uh, my grandson is bum de Uh And this guy had just returned to the Royal Marines uh, having lost his leg and was the first Royal Marine to go back and complete full Royal Marine training as an amputee. Oh, wow. I went down to visit him at Limpston and that was one of the reasons I decided to make a go, because I thought if he can do that I can certainly carry on with my life. Wow, what an inspiration. Yeah, so that's just one of those those, those toys, and that's completely yeah. I was completely, completely out of the blue what's the chance of me and her being in the same room at the same time and even talking to each other yeah yeah remarkable
0: absolutely anyway
1: so yeah so I got inspiration from him uh, I got encouragement from my family uh, and uh, I had to, have to do psychiatric tests because obviously the doctors wanted to make sure you were completely um, oh wow uh, well, uh, well that would mind. be a
0: worry for most of us
1: <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> giving an airline pilot a psychiatric test exactly right yeah. Wow. Um,
0: so you're, you're absolutely sane now, we're sure yes. of that, isn't it? Uh, well, right?
1: I think to, to, to an extent <laughs> anyway, yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also, the one thing I didn't mention is uh, uh, there's a fabulous uh, charity called Aerability, which is on my jacket here somewhere, um, which its remit is to provide flying opportunities to disabled people, either as pilots or as passengers or anything else. I went to see them even before I'd had the amputation, so I still had two legs at that stage. Uh, Mike Miller-Smith, who was in charge of the charity, was very, very uh, um, enthusiastic, um, said they'd get me flying as soon as they could, but they also told me about a project that was coming up where they needed uh, an amputee pilot. And so it meant that I could go into the operation and go into the the weeks that followed in hospital with something to look forward to, which would be another part of the story.
0: That must have been quite important to you because you knew you weren't necessarily going to leave flying behind.
1: Exactly, because there was no guarantee that I'd ever fly an airline here again. And so, you know, it was a, a, a huge incentive for me. Yeah.
0: And airability, and, uh, they, they play a part later on. I'm sure we'll come on to it. Yeah. But uh, so you, you've woken up from the operation. And uh, <laughs> what's it like when you look down and you've only got one foot? Um, it's,
1: it is surreal. It's absolutely surreal. Um, and of course, you can still feel it. I mean, phantom limb pain is something we we'll talk about later on, but even now I can still feel my toes. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember when you fly in formation, we talk about, you know, easing out, relax, wiggle your toes, and I still do that when I'm flying. Um, even to the toe that cut to the, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Your recovery, how long did that take? Oh, it was very quick. Um, I was in hospital. Not long, I think 10 days. Uh, came home, and, and the defining thing then was to, to, to wait for the... the the residual limb the stump that obviously it's got a big wound on the bottom so you've got to wait for that to heal so that took about six weeks in that time they measure you up for a leg and various bits of pieces so you're waiting for it to heal and wait for the leg which is a and in a wheelchair which is a really frustrating time but that was only i think the operation was january the 6th i was in the simulator by the start of march air ability and i think i flew the pa28 a week later so within something like eight to ten weeks of my amputation, I was flying again.
0: Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. You've already mentioned that you were there as a project manager mm-hmm. with AirAbility, um, with the aim of doing exactly what?
1: Well, the Douglas Bader Foundation, which the, was the charity um, set up by Sir Douglas Bader's family uh, after he died, and I'm sure some of your audience will know Douglas Bader was a, a, um, a Second World War fighter pilot. He'd lost his legs in a uh, flying accident uh, in about 1933, double amputee, but at the outbreak of Second World War he was desperate to get back into uh, the Royal Air Force and through persistence and sheer bloody willpower, got back to fly uh, for the RAF, flew Spitfires, led both a squadron and a wing and became a bit of a national treasure, a fighter race, was shot down, he was a POW, ended up in Colditz, so a remarkable, remarkable figure and a, and a real inspiration to disabled people throughout his life. Yeah, so Sir so Douglas Barda's family decided they wanted to, to um, extend his legacy. They had the idea of starting the world's first all-disabled air display team. Never been done before. There's a team called WeFly, who are fantastic guys down in Italy, and they have a couple of guys who are paraplegics, but they fly in a three-ship with another able-bodied person. So a fully disabled air display team had never been done before. So a bit like Cinderella, through her ability, we had a tryout for all the disabled uh, pilots in, uh, in the UK. We'll wow, decide, how we can... many are there? There's not that many. I think there were a few missing I've met uh, since then, but I think there were about 20 to 25. There's not that many. It's okay. quite a small, small sort of uh, gene pool. We all try, uh, tried out through uh, Tourism Flying Club. Uh, it's a great flying club, um, manned by BA captains who have all got... Um, Heaps of money. Well, no, but fast <laughs> jet backgrounds. Most of them are Air Force. Oh, okay. A lot of them were BBMF.
0: The BBMF is the Royal Air Force's Battle of Britain memorial flight, flying uh, Lancaster, some Spitfires, Hurricanes, uh, Dakota, and that sort of thing.
1: And so they, were, and they gave up their time to uh, come and assess us and then train us. And Excellent. Was absolutely fabulous. So they came down, uh, we all tried out with close formation in the PA-28s, and eventually they chose three of us to, uh, to fly for the team. And I was fortunate enough uh, to be chosen to lead it. So brilliant! That was fantastic.
0: Brilliant. So, who were the other guys
1: on your wing? Okay, on my right wing was a guy called um, Alan Robinson, and he uh, was another amputee who had a motorcycle crash. And Alan is an engineer in the Royal Air Force. Oh, uh, right. He's a sergeant on the, flight sergeant on a squadron at Waddington. Uh, got a flying scholarship through uh, flying scholarships for the disabled, and. Did his PPL? Is that another organisation? That's another organisation. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's a few um, organisations around there, and they all kind of mesh and, and and fit in. So he got his PPL through them. Uh, he then went off and did some pretty wacky uh, microlight flying. He flew up to the Arctic Circle in a, in a microlight. What? Um, yeah, great films of them landing on skis in snow up in Sweden. Uh, really remarkable. So what? he did that, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Remarkable>. and then. <laughs> And then, uh, with very little flying, he was able to, He won a fly, uh, another scholarship through Prince Harry's Endeavour Trust. Um, and he was chosen to replicate World War II fighter pilot training. So they gave him, I think, 15 or 20 hours on a chipmunk to do um, tailwind training. I think he did 20 hours on a Harvard for complex aircraft. And then 20 hours on the Spitfire, um, which he soloed at, with Boltby Academy down at uh, Goodwood and he was the first uh, amputee pilot since Sir Douglas Bader to solo the Spitfire. Wow. With about 150 hours, Um, just absolutely remarkable. So he was chosen, uh, and he was number two, and the guy on the other wing uh, was a guy called Barry Hobkirk, and Barry had uh, effectively broken his back in a helicopter accident. He was a Chinook pilot, and again, a remarkable guy because uh, he eventually became uh, uh, paraplegic continued to fly in the royal air force but he was on the training squadron and he did various jobs for about seven or eight years afterwards as a paraplegic wow you were still flying the chinook still, fly, still flying the chinook good lord now, not many people know that story though he's a remarkable guy um, and he was the um, number three and so we were chosen over two years we trained with terrestrial flying club and uh, eventually got our display authorizations and um, we did a display season where I think we displayed at uh, six or eight airfields. Uh, and we were very proud. I can remember the, the first show was a bit of a day like this, and it was at Duxford, first display of the season, It's May. And the 25,000 people on the ground were holding to the north of the airfield. Um, I think the blades were on, uh, having done, uh, and, and then we rolled in, and it was a perfect day, and the display all went well. And then we landed, we got standing innovation, and I've got to say, it's. The, one of the best days of my life it was uh, a remarkable remarkable achievement so yeah I'm, I'm very proud of that
0: yeah and you certainly did uh, take advantage of uh, your new life as it were
1: well there's no doubt you know i was just a, a, a very average pilot there's no way that had i not lost my leg i'd be ending up flying air displays i mean i have no no doubts about that whatsoever so yeah as one door closes another one opens uh, yeah. I, i'm also I, I do motivational speaking for for Blessma, which is the limbless veterans charity, uh, and I meet all sorts of people that I would never have met if I if I remained, you know, a, a bipod. Oh, that's amazing!
0: <laughs> now those displays sort of wound down uh, what the, around 2019. Yeah, yeah,
1: 2019. Of course, COVID came in um, spring of 2020, yeah. um, and everything stopped. So we had kind of uh, a year on the ground, kicking our heels. Um, I had quite a lot of time off because uh, we haven't talked about that side of things. When I knew that my leg was in a pretty bad way, the writing was on the wall regarding whether I'd be able to continue flying or not. And so um, I went and got myself qualifications uh, initially as a flying instructor and then teaching something called MPL, which is the multi, uh, multi-pilot course for... You did this off your own bat? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a company called, uh, it was called CTC in those days, That's now called L3 Harris. But uh, yeah, I went and paid for all my qualifications, um, built up my experience, became a typewriting instructor on the uh, A320, all and right. then eventually a typewriting examiner. And I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Um, cool. So that became a kind of a second career, uh, which I could, I could revert back to after my, my amputation. Um, but of course, that all stopped as well. So I had, a, I had a year on the ground, basically, where there was not a lot to do.
0: We'll continue with Mike's story next week. The reason I wanted to talk to Mike wasn't just to hear the story of his amazing life, but because, as the leader of the world's first and only fully aerobatic amputee formation team, he needs your help. Any display team needs financial assistance, and Team Phoenix is no different until you realise that they have had to overcome many hurdles that no other team faces. They're worthy of your help. Should you be in a position to assist Mike, then... So Mike, what's the best way people can get in touch with you if they want to help you out in this amazing journey of yours?
1: Okay, well, easy way is to call me on the telephone. Um, plus 44 for the UK. Um, 7973 762 301. Or you can email me, mike at teamphoenixair.com. Uh, And also we have uh, a website, Team Phoenix Air. Uh, Have a look at that, teamphoenixair.com and have a look at that online and all the contact details are there.
0: Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks. Okay. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. Plane Tales is also a standalone podcast, and if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, then that would be great. Many thanks for listening.